You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Fun crazy, not creepy crazy, on The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Toys, movies, comics, and so much more. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And the more that you listen, the more that you know. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to a Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday, June 6th. If you're listening to the day it is uploaded, this is episode number 1267. Right next to me is. Kimmy! I got one thing! Kimmy! Hello, everybody! Hello, everybody! Hi! Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Oh, that's right. Don't let me be misunderstood. Right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, there's never any misunderstanding about Kimmy. Really? No, no, no. You, Nobody's ever confused dealing with you. There is no misunderstanding. With me, I'm, I have a feeling there might be. Welcome to this episode. A twofer kind of Tuesday kind of thing. I, I We'll do something twofer. Okay. Yeah, why not? All right. Uh, on, on a Tuesday. How's that? All right. Yeah. Here with the Riley and Kimmy Show, you found the place that offers variety, nerd, pop culture talk every single day. A brand new episode. We focus on the world of nostalgia, retro, and we talk about all things current and past in the world of nerdum. Not just focusing on one subject matter. We we go all over the place. We're sort of like, for those who are old enough to know, sort of like a pinball going around the bumpers, banging into them. Right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. That's sort of the way I am with my vision, too. I'm kind of like a pinball Going around in the machine, banging into things, too. Yep. <laughs> Look out, especially about 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, I am Mr. Stealth, and I prove that. Between mm. the hours of midnight and mm-hmm. 5, usually, yeah, there's a crash or a bang or something and a clang, and Kimmy's gotten used to it. That, I, I guess that's the good thing or the sad thing. I don't know. You've, uh, you're at least tolerant of me in that mm-hmm. right now. The Riley and Kimmy Show is about to, well, hit the streets. That's right. We're about to take it to the streets. That's right. The Riley and Kimmy Show will be taking it to the streets many times coming up this month and the months to come. Matter of fact, going right into 2018. And if you are in Central Florida, maybe vacationing, visiting, uh, round, oh, let's see, Sunday, June 25th. Be sure to join the Riley and Kimmy Show at the Orlando Toy and Comic Con, the summer fan event. Big event, actually. Two huge names will be there as guests. Tony S. Daniel, DC artist, will be there. And writer-artist Kyle Starks from Rick and Morty will be there, too. And let's see, he's got Sex Castle comic book and uh, the Hobo one, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very diversified. Yes. It will be fun. Bring your books to get signed. 
And my understanding, Mr. Kyle Starks will be sketching, and he does this in watercolors. Wow. So he does watercolor drawings and stuff. That'll all be happening at the Orlando Toy and Comic Con. That's out at the Holiday Inn on Alafaya Trail in Orlando. Starts at 10, goes until 5 o'clock. You can find out more on their Facebook page. That's the Orlando Toy and Comic Con. Big thank you going out to Mike Priest, the show promoter, for inviting the Riley and Kimmy Show to be part of this fun nerd event. And we look forward to seeing you at this event. And yes, there will be collectors there with tons of uh, tons of collectibles and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you might find that uh, special toy or something there, too, as well. This will be a fun, smaller event, meaning you don't have a huge you know, crowds to fight and things like that. And you'll be able to spend some time, a longer time, with Tony S. Daniel or with Kyle, a little longer than you would like at a huge convention, meaning one of those really big multi-day ones. So you get a little more time, and you can talk to him and get books signed, and it's more laid-back experience. So if you have friends who love the two artist material we're talking about, or you, you have a collector that you know that just loves looking for things of nostalgia or maybe even a pop vinyl, because there will be current stuff there too. Tell them about the Orlando Toy and Comic-Con fan event that is happening Sunday, June 24th. Now, the day before the Riley and Kimmy show has been invited out to Okoe or over to Okoe. That is in the Orlando area. So if you happen to be in Orlando at that time period, maybe over in Tampa, Swing on by a place, and that is our good friend store, Highlander Novelties. Christian, the store owner, invited the Riley and Kimmy Show to be part of the Kyle Starks signing. His appearance, yes, the writer and artist of Rick and Morty, will be appearing in store at Highlander Novelties starting at 11 in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So we can have some fun, right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. It is always nice to be at uh, Christian's. He has all kinds of weird nerd things, doesn't he? That's right. And by the way, uh, you should see the really cool sticker he gave us for uh, the car. Yeah. Yeah, the Riley and Kimmy show thing. Yeah, really cool. He can do sticker work, too. So check check out what Christian has to offer. Swing on by. That's Highlander Novelties. Meet writer-artist Kyle Starks. Yeah, Rick and Morty fame. Appearing that Saturday, June 24, starting at 11 until 4. You can find out more by going right to Highlander Novelties on their Facebook page, and that, that will tell you what's going to be happening and keep you updated. By the way, speaking of keeping updated, be sure to stay updated with The Riley and Kimmy Show. Like our Facebook page and other social media and share it with your friends. You can find all our social media links along with archived episodes, all of them, all our shows, and video interviews and celebrity interviews and nerd news all on our website. What is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com <laughs> It is a Tuesday, June 6th. Kimmy, would you like to play Nerd and Pop Culture Trivia? Ooh, yeah. We'll be asking Kimmy some questions from the Nerd Timeline for this Tuesday, June 6th. The timeline has been adjusted. Kimmy, beware it is not running linear or chronological. It is all over the place. So yell at whatever listening device you happen to be sampling the Riley and Kimmy show on. And it could be anything because we are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere. I mean anywhere on planet Earth. And you know what? Even the people up in the the space station can probably hear us too. Yeah, that's kind of scary. 
Just think about that. They're floating around listening to Kimmy. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Well, you can listen to us anywhere. Tell your friends that, you know, you can take the Riley and Kimmy show to work with. You can take, as a matter of fact, in that drive to work or when you escape and head home. Take us to class. Take us anywhere. Riley and Kimmy show offers that brand new show every single day. Here we go, Kimmy, with a very first question for you. We're going to move into the world of of cinema but we're going to make it scary cinema for you for the very first question so don't get too frightened with the very first question okay mm-hmm. so on this date kimmy this movie premieres in the united kingdom the movie is called the omen we'll give you a few moments here to think about it as we do a rewind with the omen for generations the thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth position and power the perfect marriage of ambassador robert thorne and his wife catherine was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. And then, it happened again. Was it an accident? Was it murder? Was it a coincidence, or was it an omen? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. 20th Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I saw its mother. I saw its mother. I have fears. I have fears. What kind of fears? It's mother, Mr. Thorne. You saw my wife. It's mother. What is it? You're trying to suck? His mother was a... This is not a human child. Make no mistake. There are those who will die for him. There are those who will kill for him. Who is he? What does he want? Where did he come from? And can he be stopped? Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. If this is the truth, where does it end? Jimmy, what year did The Omen premiere in the United Kingdom within two years? 1975. Kimmy, you get it. It was 1976. It premiered in the United Kingdom. Now, did you see that movie uncensored, meaning not a cut-up version on standard network television? No. So you've never seen the the full version, but you've seen the chopped-up edited version, correct? Mm, actually, you've I don't never think I've ever really wow. watched the whole thing. You've never seen The Omen. We, we, we have to watch that sometime. Mm. Because Gregory Peck is my, my reason for it. I'm a big fan of Gregory Peck's and... I know some people were amazed that he would actually do that film. And he actually, in my opinion, makes the movie. Mm. So maybe we'll watch that someday. You know, we are getting closer to Halloween. Well, we are. Well, yeah, every, it's every, true. You know, so uh, we'll put that on the Halloween Ooh. list, right? Uh-huh. It was on his date in 1833. Andrew Jackson became the first United States president to ride in a train. He went on the Monopoly train, Kimmy. He went on the B&O passenger train service. Mm. Yeah, so he rode on the Monopoly thing. It was on this date, Kimmy, 1844, the YMCA was founded in London. It's fun to stay, it's a YMCA. 
Jimmy, who had that as a hit since we were talking about the YMCA? The village people. That's right. And I noticed you were doing your little dancing with the Y and the M and C and A. Kimmy, Kimmy loves the village people, don't you? Mm-hmm. All right. Moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Give me the year, Kimmy. Within 20 years, the first electric iron was patented. Give me the year the first electric iron was patented. 1880. Okay. Who shouted that out to you? I don't know. How, how do you get that? That was 1882. That Ooh. Happened. Yes. 18, Thank you. 1882. And I have a feeling my parents had one of those irons like from way back, way, I mean like way, way back. They had a bunch of old stuff, you know, and not necessarily in a good way meaning that it was collectible, kept in good shape, or anything. It was on his date in 1892. The Chicago L commuter rail system began operation. Have you ever been on the L? No. Okay. Moving over to, well, you lived in Chicagoland. I'm surprised you never were on the L. This mm-hmm. kind of surprises me. I mean, you were in the shadow, the footprint of Chicago, and you actually didn't spend that much time in the big city, though, did you? Mm-mm. That was like a big adventure going there, mm-hmm. right? Country mouse going to the city kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It was on his date in 1896. Two individuals. And I don't know whether you chalk them up to being brave or crazy. Two individuals, Frank Samuelson and George Harbo, leave New York Harbor and row across the Atlantic. Yes, they row across the Atlantic And they set a record for rowing that was not broken for 114 years. I have a feeling because I don't think anybody was crazy enough to try it. Kimmy, how many days did it take to row from New York Harbor across the Atlantic within 10 days? 80? They row a little faster than you're imagining there. Oh. Even though I I could not even... I can't even imagine this. It's 55 days. They did it in 55 days. Okay. Even though that is a long time. That's almost two months of mm-hmm. rowing. Yeah. But that was fun. So on this date, giving 1925, the Chrysler Corporation was founded by Walter Percy Chrysler. It was on this date, 1932, in the United States, the first federal tax on gasoline went into effect. It was one penny per gallon of gas. That actually is kind of a lot back then, considering... Things weren't that expensive. Mm-hmm. It was on this date in 1933 in Camden, New Jersey, the first drive-in movie theater opened. Have you ever been to a drive-in movie theater in your life? Yes. They actually had those in your uh, in your stomping grounds where, where you grew up? Yes. I, I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. I didn't like drive-in movie theaters. I, went, I was only into a couple of those. Went to. And there was one when I was a teenager we used to sneak over and go to. Mm. It was nearby. Mm-hmm. shouldn't do that. That was a bad thing. Yeah. We didn't do that. No. No. Moving over to your favorite section, Kimmy. At least I think it is. That is music. Identify this 1955 hit. It hits number one. Tell us the name of the song. Here is your clue.
this song would change everything. You would get what we now call pop standards or uh, you know adult standards. That music would take the back burner because of that song and songs like it at that time period. Tell me the name of that 1955 number one hit, Kimmy. Rock Around the Clock. Rock Around the Clock. Kimmy, who is the recording artist that had that as a number one hit in 1955? Bill Haley and the Comets. Yeah, she got the whole thing. You even got the Comets. You didn't forget the Comets. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, she got it there. Moving over to somebody else five years later who had a song that would become a hit. It was released on this date, 1960. Kimmy, identify the recording artist. Here is your clue. Only the lonely. Nineteen sixty, that was released. Who is the recording artist? I don't oh, know. Nicknamed the Big O. He would he would celebrate his birthday. Orbison? Yeah, I was gonna say he would celebrate his birthday a few years later with the Beatles. That is Rory Orbison with only the lonely, Kimmy. Kimmy needs to actually sample more of Roy Orbison, I think. Mm. Since you don't the only song I have a feeling you know is Pretty Woman. And he had so many others. And fantastic voice. Voice of gold, in my opinion. Moving over to somebody else, 1960, Tony Williams leaves the platters for a solo career. It was on this date. Easy music trivia question for Kimmy. It was on this date, 1962, at Abbey Road. This group records the songs P.S. I Love You, Ask Me Why, and Love Me Do. It was their first recording session at that studio. Who is it? The Beatles. That's correct. It was on this date, 1965. This group releases this song in the United States. Now, we're going to make it a little more challenging for the person who's incredibly smart next to me, for the person who is an audiophile. Even though we've done this, it, I think, will be quite easy for her. This song, this, this little sniglet, this little sample is backwards. Tell me the name of the song. That's what we're looking for. That was released in the United States on this date, 1965. Kimmy, can you tell me the name of that song? Oh, that's easy. Satisfaction. And who, who is the recording artist? The Rolling Stones. Yes, Kimmy, you get it right. Even backwards, you were able to identify it. 1965 is when that song, I Can't Get No, the, that's the full title, Satisfaction, was released. So on this date, well, you tell me the year, Kimmy. Something happened. 8 o'clock, Sunday night. There's a man comes around and he makes things right. Everybody's feeling gay when they hear this fella say. It's a really big show tonight. A really big show tonight. We got 16 tons of atomic ore. We got next year's army. 
Navy score and the first four battles of the Civil War. It's a really big show tonight. It's a really big show tonight. Shoe, not show. It's a really big shoe tonight. Now you've got it. Okay, give me this person's show aired for the last time, the very last time. Tell me the name of the show that aired for the last time on this date in history. It was canceled. Ed Sullivan. All right. More questions for you. What year did the Ed Sullivan show see its last time on the air? Within two years. When did it happen? Um, 67. 1971. And the question for you within that same time frame of two years. How many years had that show been on the air? Fifteen. It was on the air for 23 years. Ed Sullivan's last musical guest was Gladys Knight and the Pips. The Ed Sullivan Show, 1971, to an end. And by the way, that was a hit record about Ed Sullivan, and that was truly mm. Ed Sullivan on it. Give me the year, Kimmy, this TV show debuted. What you are about to see is bizarre, unsettling, and riveting. Kimmy, can you tell me the name of the TV show? It made its debut on this date, and give me the year it debuted within two. Um, is that 2020? It is 2020. What year? 1980. 1978, so you get that, and what network had 2020? ABC. That's correct. It's 1977. Stevie Wonder delivered an unannounced lecture at UCLA's class studying the record industry. He also performed. That was in 1977. So on this date, 1990, a federal judge in Florida declared that this group and their LP was obscene. Matter of fact, in certain counties of Florida, they were arresting record shops or threatening to that sold this material. This would eventually go to a higher court and be overturned. There were arrests in other cities and including in Canada. Kimmy, my question for you is, can you identify the group that had this controversial LP that was released and identify who it is? Please do not tell the name of, of the title of the song. The song we are giving you a, an example of here from that controversial album did hit the Hot 100 of Billboard it was number 26 on Billboard's Hot 100 in 1989. Tell me the name of the group. That's all we're looking for. Pick up the telephone, then dial the seven-digit set. Yo, Miss Marquise, baby, are you down with it? I arrived at a house, knocked on the door, not having no idea of what the night had in store. I'm like a dog in heat, a freak without warning. I have an appetite. Kimmy, who is that? I don't know the name of the group. Kimmy, you know the song, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and without revealing what the title is. You do know the name of the song. Mm-hmm. You did dance to that song, did you not? Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I, I think I danced with Kimmy to that song. I, I think I did. Yes, Kimmy, that uh, was from that controversial album. The group is Two Live Crew. Was the ones with uh, Luther Campbell. Remember, they they got in trouble. Mm. Yeah, that was in 1990. They got in trouble here in Florida. It was on this date in 1995. Pink Floyd released its two-CD live album, Pulse, in the United States. It was 2002 in Malibu, California. Diana Ross entered a drug and alcohol rehab center. Moving over to notable birthdays. Walter Abel, born 1898, died 1987 at the age of 88. He was an actor who appeared in over 200 movies beginning in the silent film era. Gary U.S. Bond, singer, 
having a birthday. He's 78. This person, Kimmy, tell me who it is. He's an actor, best known for playing the character of Freddy Krueger in the original Nightmare on Elm Street series. Robert England. That's right, Robert England. Now, how old is Robert England today, Kimmy? Um, Within five. 65? He is 70 today. Now, the bigger question for you, Kimmy, is tell me the name of the TV show he played an alien, a reptile kind of alien. V. That's right, V. And bonus points, can you tell me the name of that alien that he played? Willie? That's right, Willie, the friendly alien, as he did sign something that I have here in the studio looking at me right now. See it right there? Mm-hmm. Kimmy can see it. Yeah, that's, yeah. It, it says Willie, the friendly alien, Freddy no, it doesn't say Freddy Krueger. It says Robert England, and he was on V with the original movie in 1983, and then the series from 1984 to 1985. If you want to see how wide range of acting, check out the V thing because he was acting in V when he did Freddy Krueger. So yeah, that's a trip. And check out his autobiography, by the way. That is very good, and he has insight, you know, about making the uh, Nightmare series, but also talks about working with Roger Corman and other actors that he did work with and stuff. It's a very good book. Mm-hmm. If you ever have an opportunity to meet him, take that opportunity. It is, it's definitely worth, he's definitely worth meeting. Oh, yes. And Kimmy has a really fun, and well, I'm sort of there, but I'm just, you know, I'm chopped liver. Uh, we have a photo with, Kimmy's a star in a photo with Robert England. <laughs> Do you know who Sandra Bernhardt is, Kimmy? Yes. You know the comedian? Yes. How old is she today? Um, 69. 62? I see that. It is notable deaths. Tell me who said this, Kimmy. He was—he uh, passed away in 1799. I have his famous quote. He was an American revolutionary and founding father, famous for the following quote, Give me liberty or give me death. Who is that? Patrick Henry. You got it. He dies at the age of 63 on this date in 1799, 1922. Lillian Russell, actress, singer, entertainer, dies at the age of 60. 1961, Carl Jung passes away. What is he known for? What profession? He dies at the age of 85. I don't know. Ooh, didn't study psych, did you? Not much. Oh, was it? Yeah, I almost said that. Yeah, Swiss psychiatrist founded analytic psychology. Carl Jung. You you Mm -hmm. know him now. Yeah. Bet you studied some of him, didn't you? Yep. Yeah, he did. It was on this date, 1968, U.S. Senator Robert F. Kennedy died at 1.44 in the morning in Los Angeles after being shot by whom, Kimmy? Who shot him the evening before? Can you tell me the assassin's name? Saran Saran? Saran Saran, you get it? 1968, that is when that happened. It was on this date, 1976, J. Paul Getty, oil magnate, billionaire, dies at the age of 83, movie... Musical question for you, Kimmy. It's from a musical. We're going to ask this one. You love musicals, don't you? Mm. Well, sometimes. 1979. This person died at the age of 81. He was an American vaudevillian, stage, radio, and film actor. Also did light comedy, singing, and dancing. He's best known for his portrayal of the Tin Man in the 1939 The Wizard of Oz. Who is it? Oh, it's not Ray Bolger. That's correct. This person would replace an actor who had already had the role. Um. And he would make it his own. It's escaping me right now. Jack Haley, 
is the name of the Tin Man. Now, who had the roll first but had an allergy or allergic reaction to the paint that they were using for the for the face and body? Um, Ray Bulger? No. Buddy Epson. It is. That's right. Buddy Epson, by the way, almost felt abandoned by the studio and by individuals after that because he was in what they call an iron lung for a period of time because he he inhaled that dust, the paint dust, mm. and he almost didn't make it, which a lot of people don't realize. Mm. 1991, musician Stan Getz passed away, best known for popularizing Bossa Nova with a worldwide hit. Here's a sample of it from 1964. The girl from Ipanema from 1964. Many, many jazz artists, smooth jazz artists would uh, make that their, or try to make it their own. They would cover that. But it was his 1964 introducing the world, or America in particular, to that style of music. Moving over to somebody else who passed away on this date. Identify who it is, Kimmy. 2005, they passed away at the age of 73. She won an Academy Award for Best Actress for her lead role in The Miracle Worker in 1962. You know the movie, The Miracle Worker, don't you? Mm -hmm. And she's best known as the seductress. Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate in 1967. She was married to actor-director Mel Brooks from 1964 until her death. Who is it? You know the movie The Miracle Worker. Mm-hmm. And I assume you know the movie The Graduate. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yes, I have. And she was actually not that much older than Dustin Hoffman when she played the role. There were other actresses who were offered the role that turned it down she was not that much older than Dustin Hoffman at the time in The Graduate. Who is she? Um, I can't do it. Anne Bancroft. Passed away on this date, 2005. 2013, Esther Williams died at the age of 91, American competitive swimmer and actress. From 1945 to 1949, Williams had at least one film listed among the 20 highest grossing films of the year. You know those swimming movies and things like that? Do you mm -hmm. ever see those synchronized? Mm -hmm. oh, okay, um, don't worry. I, I won't be watching any of those, so you, you don't have to worry about uh, catching up on any of those. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job on this Tuesday. I think you did a really good job with trivia. We're going to go back in time, do a twofer kind of thing here with the golden age of radio for a twofer Tuesday and honor something from trivia. And that's O'Reilly and Kimmy Show. Anytime we have a chance to go back in time to the golden age of radio, we take that opportunity. And right now we're going to honor Walter Abel, actor born on this date, 1898. He's the guy we said had, well, been in like 200 movies. Well, we have some examples of his radio work. He wasn't shy. He talked on radio and he acted on radio programs. We have two examples. The first one from a thriller suspense kind of world, Quiet Desperation from 1947 will kick it off. And then we have The Goose Hangs High from 1949. They're totally two different things. Give you an idea of his uh, wide range of ability. These are back-to-back, -back, uninterrupted, safe for all ages. Little ears can hear this. Kicking it off, the very first one with Quiet Desperation from 1947. Here's Walter Abel. 
on the Riley and Kimmy Show. It was during my lunch hour one day. Funny, I can't even remember the name of the book. Anyway, the sentence was, The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. I couldn't seem to get past that sentence. Quiet desperation. That was me the author was talking about, Homer Biglow. And suddenly I thought, why should I go on like that? I was desperate, okay, but why should I be quiet? Why shouldn't I do something about it? Get myself out of the rut. All I needed was the right break. It came a lot sooner than I expected. One day, just before my vacation, I happened to overhear Mr. Pearson, he's president of the bank, talking to one of the bank's directors, Corbin Vandergriff. Usually their conversation is about debentures or first mortgages or government issues. That stuff didn't interest me. Today, their talk was a horse of another color. It was a hot day and the door of the boss's office was open. They didn't even know I was alive. I understand she's no great beauty, but it's just as well she doesn't attract too much attention going through customs at both ends. You mean to say, Corbin, that a young girl is willing to take the risk of violating her country's currency controls? Evidently. Of course, she feels exactly as the father does, that they should be free over there to spend their own money wherever they choose. Mm -hmm. Old Vale would break every law they've written there just for the satisfaction of knowing he's outwitted them. And Hester probably feels the same way about it. Well, then he'll get quite a kick out of slipping 20,000 pounds out of the country. Yeah, not pounds, John, but they might as well be. They're just about as negotiable as cold cash. Why, when that girl turns them over to me, I can walk into any dealer in the city and get full market value in ten minutes. Mm. And I intend to do it for him. I'm in complete sympathy. No government on earth could tell me where and when and how to spend my own money. Once she gets the money, what's she going to do with it? Oh, I don't know. I don't care. My guess is that she's going to do some shrewd buying highly uh, scarce products for shipments back abroad. Leave it available to find a profitable deal. <laughs> when is she arriving? Monday on the Elizabeth. I've engaged a suite for her, the ambassador. Good. I wrote them that I'd meet her at the boat, take her to the hotel, get the uh, negotiables, and exchange them for her. Mm -hmm. That afternoon, she can throw the dollars out the window for all that matters to me. My duty will be over. Well, aren't you going to entertain her while she's here? See that she has a good time? Entertain her? I should say not. What? I don't even know the girl. Besides, I'm a little too old for that sort of thing. Oh, come on. So you keep it chilly in here. You know, I like I wondered what Mr. Pearson would say if any of us employees at the banks were to play fast and loose with the law the way Corbin Vandergriff and that snooty dame Hester Vale were doing. He wouldn't be quite so sympathetic and understanding. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. That kind of skullduggery was labeled strictly for the rich. I should have put the whole thing out of my mind, but somehow I couldn't. Twenty thousand pounds. Eighty thousand dollars in American money. I stood there outside Mr. Pearson's office. I was shaken out of my quiet desperation. Somehow, I just stood there dreaming about romance and adventure that you could buy with money. Well, Homer, you're all set for your vacation? <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, sir. Leaving Friday for good old Eel River. My 13th year there. Well, I envy you, son. I won't be going up until September. Then you'll be fishing up at Eel River again this summer. Too. Oh, yes, yes. I wouldn't miss it for anything. I wrote Emil and told him to expect me. We'll be uh, quite a party this year. Five of us, you know. 
Say, did I tell you about the trout I caught last year? Yes, the bank president and his lowly employee both went to the same place for their vacations. But what a difference. When he went out fishing, he had two guides per man with him to pack and carry, to paddle and cook, to set up camp, to do everything that needed doing. Whereas I had to do everything for myself and by myself. Well, have a good time, Homer. I'll see you when you return. I'll say goodbye now. I won't be back anymore today. Goodbye, sir, and thanks. I had my lunch that day as I usually did in the boardroom. Jenny, Mr. Pearson's secretary, had left the door to his office open so that if the phone rang, I could take the message while she was out. The phone did ring, and it was Corbin Vandegrift. <coughs> Who is this? This is Homer Biglow, Mr. Vandegrift. <coughs> oh, yes, Homer. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, make sure to give this message to Mr. Pearson. I'm laid up here in the country with a cold. I won't be able to get to the city for that appointment on Monday. <coughs> Mr. Pearson knows all about it. Ask him to meet Miss Vale at the boat for me and see to it that she's settled at the hotel. Tell him not to expect me back in the city until next Wednesday at the earliest. Yes, sir. Tell him I'll take care of that financial matter for Miss Vale when I get in. If you can wait until Wednesday. Yes, sir. And tell him not to bother to call me. I'm going to spend this week in bed and I, I don't want to be disturbed. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Homer. Hmm. So Mr. Vandergriff was indisposed. Too bad. Now the girl would have to be met by a substitute, a stranger. Well, she didn't know either Vandergriff or Pearson from a hole in the ground, so what did it matter? And if it came to that, why did the substitute have to be Mr. Pearson? Why couldn't it be me? My days of quiet desperation were over. Anyone taking a real close look at me that Friday wouldn't have been sure I had a fever. My face felt hot, and every now and then I had a fit of trembling. But evening finally came. I gulped down some food at the cafeteria, picked up my bags at home, and went to the station. The next day, I was saying hello to Emil on the platform of the Eel River Station. <laughs> hello, Emil. Como va? Hello, Emil. Glad to see you again. How is my bon ami, Mr. Pearson? Eh? Fine, fine. He sends his regards. How's the fishing? Oh, magnifique. The best ever, eh? Uh, many others on the river, Emil? Oh, not a one. The fish, they are hungry like anything. And not a one to give them small fly to eat. <laughs> now you come, Emil. And they will be all for you. <laughs> That's fine. I'll get started right out. Is everything all set? Oh, yeah, to pry. Everything is ready, eh? Come. <laughs> In half an hour, I was at the camp on the shore of Eel River. I had lunch, changed my clothes, put my city clothes into my pack instead of into my suitcase, which I was going to leave in camp. And by three o'clock, I was a good eight miles up Eel River. By four, I had hidden my canoe and equipment in some bushes along the bank, and dressed again in city clothes, was walking slowly through the woods toward Loudon's Corners three miles away. It was a local stop on the railroad just below Eel River, and the train south was due in at nine that night. I had plenty of time to catch it and make the transfer at Boston for the night train to New York. In the Boston station, I bought a cheap suitcase and a couple of shirts, and when the train dropped me at Grand Central early Sunday morning, I went straight to the 49th Street Hotel, which was just a couple of blocks from the Ambassador. I scrawled the name Henry Smith in the register and was shown to my room. I had a whole day and a night to wait. And for once, with all that time on my hands, I didn't read a book. Thank you.
Excuse me, where could I find a Miss Vale, one of the passengers? What? What name? Hester Vale. Vale, look over there by the V. She hasn't gone through. She's probably there. Thank you. Miss Vale? Miss Vale? Over here. Good morning, Miss Vale. I'm... You're Mr. Vanderbilt. <laughs> That's right. So good of you to come. My father promised you'd meet me. Oh, how is your father? Oh, he's very well, thank you. Still growling about Europe's ruin. It's been a beastly nuisance, this waiting. <laughs> is there Hi. any... Anything I can do to help? Thank you. That chap's finally finished mucking about with my boxes. Think I was an adventurer smuggling something priceless into your country. <laughs> I have nothing to declare, you know. Came with empty trunks. Expect to fill them up while I'm here. Can't buy a thing in Europe, you know. Europe's a dreadful nightmare. Yes, so I understand. Father wrote you all about it, did he? Foolish of him to write. Mail might have been opened. Oh, no. After all, the war's over. Is it? Well, shall I take you to your hotel? You probably want to rest. Rest? Not at all. I'm scooting out to the shops right off. Oh, you you have enough money for shopping? Well, they allowed me a hundred pounds. I still have most of it. That'll do for a starter. They'd only known about, you know. <laughs> yes, if uh, if you'd care to turn over the uh, um, the contraband, uh, I could see about converting it into dollars for you. <laughs> contraband? They're spies and all that sort of thing. That describes it exactly. It's very nice. But not now. I'll dig them out of the hotel. All right. Is there anything you'd like me to do this evening, or you'd like to do this evening? Well, oh dear, I don't want to impose on your time. Oh, you're not imposing. It's a pleasure. Well, I'd like to see a play. One of oh. your bright American musicals, if possible. Well, I think that can be arranged. Well. Suppose I call for you at seven. We can have dinner and then go to the theater. That's splendid. It's rightly kind of you. Forget it. I haven't seen a musical myself. Well, not for a long time, anyway. I took her to a suite at the Ambassador. Then I went back to my room to think over my plan. It was almost too simple. As soon as she turned the securities over to me, I'd take them to a broker and collect. Then I'd catch the night train back to Loudon's Corner, then through the woods to Eel River. By tomorrow afternoon, I'd be in my canoe again as if nothing had happened. A few days after that, the canoe would come drifting down the river wrong side up, and my stuff would be found floating in a quiet backwater. Under another name, I'd go out west, with $80,000, I'd never have to go back to that old life of quiet desperation. No, sir, I was through with that forever. As for the man who posed as Corbin Vandergriff, he'd never be found. And no one would ever connect him with the Homer Biglow who was drowned on a fishing trip in the swift waters of Eel River 250 miles away. Good evening, Miss Vale. Hello, right on time. How was the shopping? Oh, I say, it left me quite speechless. <laughs> I can't wait until I can really go on a spree. Are we ready? If you are. Quite. Oh, dear. There, now, will you hold this key for me? There's simply no room in my bag for it. Sure, I'll keep it in my pocket for you. Thank you. I picked a quiet little restaurant where I was sure I wouldn't meet anyone who knew me. The theater was going to be an ordeal, all those people, but that couldn't be helped. I had to play my part until she handed over those securities. I couldn't afford to look too anxious about them either, but I needn't have worried. While we were waiting for the dessert, she opened her bag and pulled out a package of about a dozen small envelopes, different sizes and different shapes. Here. Here you are, Mr. Vanderbilt. Take good care of them. Ah. Are these? They are. I put them in my inside pocket. All the way down Broadway in the taxi, I felt them, 
the envelopes were too small, it seemed to me, to hold securities. Maybe if they were folded over, but even then they would have to be bulkier than they were. I had to look into those envelopes to know if the securities were really there. But I had no chance, and it wasn't until the taxi dropped us in front of the theater that I was able to make one. Well, here we are. Miss Vale, I I wonder if you'd mind seeing the show alone. Oh, dear. I don't know what did it to me, but I've suddenly gotten a terrific headache. Oh, that is too bad. Oh, it'll be all right. I just thought the music and the excitement wouldn't help much. No, I should think not. Suppose you take me back to the hotel, and then you can go right home. But wouldn't you like to see the show by yourself? Oh. You could, you know, and then take a taxi back to the ambassador. Yes, I suppose I could. Well, I should hate to think a headache of mine spoiled your whole evening. Here, take the tickets and go on in. But thank you, I will. I'm dreadfully sorry you have to miss it. Oh, I'll make up for it another time, Miss Vale. There are plenty of musicals you want to see. You'll be sure to take something for that headache now, won't you? <laughs> I will. Thanks a lot for being so considerate. Good night, Miss Vale. Have a good time. Oh, I'm sure to. Good night, Mr. Vandergriff. Back in my hotel room with shaking hands, I opened the envelopes. They were nothing but letters from her friends. Sent to her from different parts of the world. Not a single security in any of them. Could it have been a mistake? Did she hand me the wrong package? Didn't seem possible. Maybe she suspected something was wrong and played a trick on me. I was sweating and reached for my handkerchief. And that's when I felt her hotel key still in my pocket. <gasps> I threw the package of letters into my suitcase and walked over to the ambassador, two, two blocks away. Her key opened the door and I was alone in her suite. I had until at least 11.30, two and a half hours. I took my time about it, making sure to put everything back exactly as I found it. I searched her baggage, the bureau, the drawers, the closet, every conceivable place, even under the rugs, and found exactly nothing. She had them on her then. I turned the light off and went into the bedroom to wait. Soon after 11.30, I heard the outer door open. Really, I'm terribly sorry to have caused this trouble. Mr. Vandergriff was suddenly taken with a headache, or I'm sure he wouldn't have forgotten to return my key. Well, it really doesn't matter, miss. You can use this duplicate until he returns it to you. Oh, it is bother, though. Oh, not at all, Miss Vale. Happens often. Well, good night. Thank you. Good night. <gasps> oh! Oh, dear. Vandergriff. What are you doing here? I'm sorry to disturb you, Miss Vale, but I had to come back. You see, you forgot to give me the securities. Securities? Yes, the securities. I was to have sold for you. Oh, my dear, but I did Oh, no. There wasn't anything in the package except some letters from friends of yours. Who are you? You're not, Mr. Vandergriff. Miss Vale, what my name is doesn't matter very much. By this time, it's enough for you to know that I want those securities and I need to get them. Hand them over. You get out of here. I warn you, Miss Vale, I don't want to get nasty, but... I'm not going to leave without them. Stay away from me. The securities, Miss Vale. No. 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 Where are they, Miss Vale? Tell me. I don't want to hurt you. The more she struggled, the tighter I gripped her throat. Her arms beat weakly against my side, and suddenly I got so mad at her that I... Where are they? Where are they? Tell me, where are they? My fingers tightened and strained against her soft flesh. Then suddenly she quit struggling, and when I loosened my grip, she fell down on the floor unconscious. Where was that purse of hers? Ah, there. I ripped it open. Nothing there but a powder compact and a lipstick and some change. Where could they be? She'd have to tell me. I'd make her. Miss Vale. Wake up, Miss Vale. She didn't move. And then I saw that she wasn't breathing anymore. 
I'd killed her. I never meant to kill the girl. I hadn't any idea I was choking her that hard. All I wanted was... Now, I had to get away. I couldn't stay there with that limp body sprawled on the rug, but I had to be careful. I couldn't afford to make any mistake now. I tried to remember everything I'd read in detective stories. You had to be careful about fingerprints. I ran to the bathroom, grabbed the towel, and with it wiped every surface I might have touched. Then I dragged the body to the bedroom and put it on the bed. I shut the door behind me and turned the lights off in the sitting room. I listened a couple of seconds at the outer door. Everything was quiet. I ducked out and went to the stairs. The lobby was empty. I crossed over and went on to Park Avenue. Five minutes later, I was in my hotel. It was 12.30. I could still catch the one o'clock train for Boston. Fine mess I'd made. The best thing that could happen to me now... Mind you, the best thing would be to get back home to the boarding house, to the bank, to that horrible, hopeless rut I tried to get away from. That was the best I had to look forward to. The worst. I didn't even have the courage to think of it. But then, what could they pin on me? If anybody had anything to worry about, it wasn't me. It was Vandegrift. He had the date with her, not I. As far as anybody knew... I didn't know any such person as Hester Vale ever existed. Vandergriff was the guy she told the desk clerk she'd given the key to. But the poor sap wouldn't even be able to prove an alibi for late last night midnight. Yes. Ha! Ha! I could go back to my fishing and forget the whole thing. Forget it ever happened. I was safe. Huh. Fine consolation that was after all the beautiful plans I'd made. But at least I was safe. In Boston, I checked the new suitcase. I could pick it up on the way home. The local dropped me at Loudon's Corner. By noon, I was sitting over my campfire, having a bite, just like any other fellow out on a fishing trip. Ten days later, on a Saturday morning, I was back at Emil's camp. Ah, boy, Mr. Bigelow. How is fishing, huh? Fine, Emil, fine. Oh, you get nice sunburn, eh? <laughs> Last the rest of the year, anyway, no? Did I really get that brown? Well, like very, eh? Real nice and quiet, no? I have no party fishing before August, when Mr. Pearson come with uh, four friends. Yes, I know, he told me. <laughs> He's some fisherman, Mr. Pearson. Always try for records. But uh, you don't care for records, eh, Mr. Bigelow? You lead the simple, the, the quiet life. I, I guess I do. But <laughs> you enjoy it, no? <laughs> enjoy it? I, I try my best. You have other hobbies, maybe, huh? No, I don't have any hobbies except reading. Oh. Mr. Pearson and me, we have same hobbies. That's why we're such good friends. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, we, we, we. We great one for uh, philately, les timbres, uh, the stamp, you know? Someday I'll show you my collection. It's filled three albums. But I have no so good collection like Mr. Pearson. But then I have no so much money. <laughs> <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> you make joke. <laughs> Mr. Pearson is very wealthy, I know. But still, Emil can give him some stamp once in a while. I have few duplicates. You do me big favor and give them to Mr. Pearson. Avec me compliments, eh? What? Oh, sure, I'd be glad to. Ah, yes. Now I drive you to station. Next year you come again, no? Yes, I'll come again. <laughs> 
Homer. You're back, eh? Did you enjoy your rest? Yes, it was fine, Mr. Pearson. Good, good, good. I can't say we've had any enjoyment back here. Have you heard about Mr. Vandergrift? Mr. Vandergrift? No, sir. Is there something wrong? Wrong! I'll say there is. He's been arrested for murder. He insists he's innocent, but the police have a strong case against him. Very strong. Oh, it looks bad. Bad indeed. I'm sorry, sir. So are we all. It means I'll have to give up my fishing trip this summer for one thing. I can't desert old Vandy at such a time. I'll have to wire Emil, and I just got a letter from him telling me he had everything arranged, too. Yes, he told me he was expecting you. Oh, well. Can't be helped. Oh, say, by the way, he wrote that he sent some duplicates on to me in your care. Stamps, you know. Stamps? Oh, that's right, he did. Sorry, I forgot about them, Mr. Pearson. I must have them at home. I'll I'll bring them in tomorrow, sir. Well, no hurry, no hurry. I have no mind for them now, anyway. Well, back to work. Come on, back to work. That night I looked for the stamps, but I couldn't find them. How I ever managed to lose them, I'll never know. Now I'd have to explain to Mr. Pearson. No, I wouldn't have to explain. I still had those letters, her letters. They were from foreign countries. I'd take the stamps from those envelopes and give them to Mr. Pearson. He'd never know the difference. I knew how fussy he could get about a little thing like lost stamps. Rather than get him started on the lecture, I got out the package of letters, cut the stamps off, and then burned the letters and the envelopes. The next day... Yes? Here are those stamps, sir. I found them at home, all right. Oh, oh well, just put them on the desk, Homer. Thank you very much. Oh, don't mention it, Mr. Pearson. I was having my lunch later in the boardroom when Mr. Pearson came in. He had a stranger with him, a tall man with an angry face. Here, here you are, Homer. Yes, sir? I uh, want you to meet Mr. Scott. How do you do? How do you do? Those uh, stamps you gave me, Homer, are you sure you got them from Emil? Oh, yes, sir. Just before I left, he gave them to me for you. No, Homer, no. I just called Emil. He told me he gave you some recent French issues. Those weren't the stamps you gave me. <laughs> Well, Mr. Pearson, I guess you found me out. You see, I lost the stamps Amy gave me, and I didn't want to disappoint you, so I went to a stamp dealer's and picked up a dozen odd stamps to replace them. I didn't think it would make much difference. Is that your story, Biglow? Well, what do you mean? It's true. They were very rare and very valuable stamps, Homer. You must have shelled out a pretty penny for them. Oh, I don't know. Mr. Pearson feels a man in your position couldn't afford to buy stamps like those unless... Uh... Unless what? Unless you didn't buy them at all, Big Low. Unless you got them from the late Miss Hester Vale. Well, what's the matter, Homer? Is the name familiar to you? No. Why, no, sir. I I never heard of... What makes us think so is that the stamps Miss Vale smuggled into this country were the same issues. And worth exactly as much. Eighty thousand dollars. They were worth eighty thousand? Could it be a coincidence, Mr. Big Low? Quiet desperation. I've been catching up on my reading here in prison while waiting. I found another good quote. Happiness is the absence of pain.
scenes from great plays. Tonight, The Goose Hangs High by Lewis Beach, as adapted for radio by Howard Teichman, starring Walter Abel. I'm Bernard Ingalls. I don't think we've spoiled our children. We've simply given them the things we felt they should have. Margalo Gilmore. I'm Eunice Ingalls. I think we have the most wonderful children in the world. Right now, we're expecting them home for the holidays. And Ethel Owen. I'm Eunice's mother. My daughter married a perfectly nice person. The only thing we've ever had words about is Lois and Bradley, the children. Always wanting and getting. Oh, their goose hangs high. We pick up Bernard Ingalls as he hurries home from the office one evening. An old friend is calling to him. Bernard! Bernard! Hey, Ingalls! What? Oh, no, I didn't hear you. Well, you must be walking in your sleep, man. I've been chasing you for blocks. I was hurrying home. We're expecting the children any minute. Yes, I know. I, I phoned Eunice. I'll bet you're tickled pink to see them, you doting old fool. Yes. Yes, I am. Something wrong, Bern? You're looking awfully tired. No, I'm fine, no. I just had a hard day, that's all. Uh-huh. How are you making out with uh, the new councilman, Elliot Kimberly? It's getting worse every day. Uh-huh. Still want your job to go as a political plum to one of his friends? He's given me a reprieve on that score. At least for the moment. What's the catch? Kimberly's a social climber, no. First, he threatens to fire the girl who's been my secretary for ten years. Then, for allowing me to keep her, he forces me to invite him to the house for dinner. Kimberly invited to your mm -hmm. house? That's not all. He also inferred this afternoon that unless I got him into the country club, my job would be a thing of the past. Now, Byrne, that's what I want to talk to you about. Talk to me about? Yes. You remember when the city first offered you the job of city assessor? Yeah. We gave up the greenhouse on Market Street. That's right. I tried to run it without you, but it was you who had the green thumb. I was just a glorified office manager. Oh, I was pretty resentful. They burn. Mm. How old are you? 54. Why? I'm 57. And I'm beginning to feel tired. The ripest plums have too many young birds pecking at them. What are you trying to say, Noah? Just this. Frederick's nursery is selling out. His place can be had dirt cheap. He's got a nice start at a greenhouse burn. Two houses, 30 by 70. It's a fine spot. For two men, a little uh, damaged at the edges, but still good inside. Burn, what do you say? Say? Come in with me. Let's buy it. I can't. Not now. Oh, you've been saying that for 18 years. Burn, don't you see? This is the chance of a lifetime. You'll still be making a living. You won't make the figure that you're drawing now, but you'll be your own boss, and you won't have to take orders from anybody. I tell you, I can't. I've got bills, responsibilities. I owe it to the children. The children. Oh, I'm sorry, Noel. If you'll excuse me, I have to hurry. Eunice wants me to be home before the children arrive. o'clock. Brad wrote they were coming on the five o'clock train, Bernard. You think something's happened? Maybe we ought to phone the station. Now, we phoned already four times, Eunice. Nothing's happened. 
They just took a later train, that's all. Don't you agree, Granny? I agree. And as usual, they didn't bother to let you know about it. Oh, I'm sure nothing's happened to the mother. Oh, it just seems so long when you wait. Isn't it funny the way a home almost seems dead when the children are gone from it? <laughs> well, give yourself a few minutes more, Eunice. And the place will be a madhouse. You'll be praying for a little quiet. <laughs> Listen to him. You know you can't wait till they get here, Bernard. That's the man over there. Oh, Dad. Lois. For sake, Lois. Oh, hi, Dad. You need a shave. Hi, everybody. Here, cat, oh, Granny. No, no, oh, don't you tell me my muff, Granny. Hi, Mom. Lois, we were so worried about you, What's dear. What happened to that hat box, Brad? Let me look at you. What'd you say, Mom? I just want to look at you. Oh. You look lovely, dear. As thin as a rail. Where's Bradley? Hey, hurry up, Brad. He's bringing in the bags, Granny. There, there he is now. Well, how about it, Jeff? Your favorite son has come home. Mr. Ingalls, I presume? Hello, son. Hi, uh, Dad, you old rascal. You hard tricks. Bradley, it's so wonderful to see you. You didn't crush my hat box, Brad. Stop worrying about your silly hats. They look better no, crushed. Oh, kiss you. Well, sure, Mom, here. Oh. Mm. Now, how about you, Granny? You want a kiss, too? No, I'll do without Oh, that. you're well. Watch out for my hair, you idiot. You can't turn down a Bradley, Mother. <laughs> I see I can't. Did you say the house was too quiet, Eunice? Oh, I made a mistake. Lois, Lois, how do you like your new house on the campus? What, Mother? Your mother asked how you liked the more expensive house you moved into at college. Oh, oh, it's well, Mom. It's Say, good. Dad, did I write you about the car one of the fellas at school is selling? No, you I'm didn't, son. I'm just crazy son. about it. Oh, it's a small oh. buy, Dad. I got a picture of it. I'm very you? glad, dear. I was wondering you didn't say in your letters. I guess I forgot, Mom. I get pretty busy up there sometimes. Oh, I know, dear, and I feel dreadful about bothering you for letters all the time, but I guess it's because I never went away to school myself. That's why I try to... We'll live it all through you. Oh, it's cool. Swell, Mom. Say, Brad, huh? do you think this dress will do for the shindig? Well, sure it will. I said not to change. I'm going as I am. Going where? What shindig? Oh, some of the kids from school were meeting at one of the kids' houses. Hey, we're a half hour late now. Oh, gosh. Oh, do you mind terribly, Mother, if we skip dinner tonight? We'll make up for it tomorrow. Yeah, Mom, tomorrow we'll let you stuff us with roast ham to your heart's content, okay? Oh, of course. Of course, it's, it's okay. Rhoda worked on that dinner all day long. Rhoda's our favorite cook. Tell them we'll eat it tomorrow. Bye, Mom. Bye, Dad. <laughs> What is it, Rhoda? What's the matter? Well, I just can't take any more of this nervousness, Miss Ingle. Fourteen years in this kitchen, and of all the days in the world for the stove to break down. And if I don't get that roast in the oven soon, there won't be any dinner for nobody. Mr. Kimberly, not nobody. A repairman's coming right away, Rhoda. Bradley's gone up to get him. Well, I certainly hope so. Where is Mrs. Ingle? She should have been back from market an hour ago. She'll be in any minute, Rhoda. Eunice. Eunice, you're dripping wet. I'm all right, Mother. Certainly don't sound all right to me. Excuse me, Rhoda. Yes, sir? Eunice. Yes, dear. Oh, look at her, Bernard. <sighs> Walking home in that pouring rain. Couldn't you take a cab? Or did you want to save the money for these dear, considerate children? I couldn't find a cab, Mother. Anyway, I'm here, and I bought a beautiful pastry for Mr. Kimberly. I'm having a tray in my room. Oh, Mother, please, we can't offend Mr. Kimberly. Just wants to boast that he's eaten at the home of a Bradley, that's all. This is the end. This is the very bitter end. What's the matter now, Rhoda? The matter now, Mr. Ingalls. Where's Bradley with that gas man? And how does he expect me to cook a dinner without gas? I told Bradley when he left Oh, my morning. heavens, Rhoda, I thought that repairman would be here by now. 
Oh, dear. Bradley must have forgotten. If Bradley's head weren't attached to his shoulder... cookies are sitting on the drain board. And a roast. I never had such a terrible day in my life. Now, don't get upset, Rhoda. Even if the stove's not working, we'll fix up such a dinner as Mr. Kimberly will never forget. Well, I hope so. Now, don't worry, Bernard. We've got this pastry I brought home, and I'll fix up a nice salad, and we'll get some of that nice Loganbury jam. Mm, That's all I need now. I don't see why all the fuss about a man we don't want in the house in the first place. In your top drawer, Lois. For pity's sake, Mother, we've got to be polite to Mr. Kimberly. I've asked the children to be here. Can I have three dollars for a cab, someone? I don't want to get my new hat wet and it's raining like mad. Why don't you take an umbrella? Oh, Granny, you're a quaint old soul and you deserve a great big kiss. Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) You're not going out again tonight, are you, Lois? You've been out every night since you've been home. And besides, we're having a dinner party. Oh, Bosh, to the dinner party. Anyway, you wouldn't call it going out, Dad, not in the strict sense of the word. I mean, you see, I I ran into Mr. Wingate. Wingate's department store? Mm-hmm, the sun. I was in buying stockings, and I just happened to make a comment about the lousy advertising. That's the new low in manners. Oh, he didn't mind a bit, Granny. As a, as a matter of fact, he uh, made me promise we'd have dinner tonight and uh, talk all about advertising and... Uh, Oh, Dad, I'm late now, so can I have those three dollars, please? But Mr. Kimberly's coming to dinner, Lois. I asked you to be here. Mr. Kimberly... Oh. Oh, Mr. Kimberly's not coming, Dad. What? Didn't Brad tell you? Tell me what? Oh, Mr. Kimberly phoned to make sure what time dinner was, and, and Brad said that in as much as the stove had broken down, he didn't know how soon we could get a gas man. He, he didn't very well see if there was going to be any dinner, and so... And so, Brad told him not to come. Yeah. Oh. Look, can I have that three dollars, Dad? What? I'm really awfully late. Oh, sure, Lois, sure. Here. Thanks, loads, Dad. You're lamb. Night, folks. Well, thank goodness that man isn't coming, at least. I'll be upstairs, Eunice. Well, that's that. Please try not to be so upset, Bernard. I'll phone Mr. Kimberly in the morning and apologize, and we'll ask him again. You don't understand, Eunice. It was very important that nothing go wrong tonight. Oh, I'll explain about Bradley and all. It's just a bit of youthful carelessness. It can happen to anybody. Mr. Kimberly will understand. I hope so. Hiya, venerable parents. Don't tell me there's food after all. I thought celery crazy about celery. (laughs) Say, I'm starved. Mom, are my white shirts back from the laundry? Mm -hmm. Chocolate cake. You mind if I scoop? I can fix a salad for you, Bradley, if you're hungry. No, Mom, I haven't got the time. I got a special date. That is, I hope she's special. You hope she's special. Well, I hope she isn't like all the other girls, you know, always thinking about marriage. What's wrong with marriage? Marriage, kids, all the sloppy sentimentality of family life. Not for me, Dad. Uh, hand me that ashtray, will you, Mom, please? I'll spill the ashes if I move. Well, of course, Brad. Oh, thanks, Mom. Look, Dad, take yourself. Now, you're not really a bad guy. Thank you. But look at what happened to you. When you got through high school, you wanted to go into the nursery business. I thought of it. Why didn't you? Well... My father needed me in the store. You see what I mean? Sentimental nonsense. You sacrificed yourself for your father, that old family stuff. Uh-oh, I'd better run. Uh, Rhoda, was the laundry man here yet today? I need a clean shirt. Well, there's nothing like being told by your own son. Oh, Bernard, he didn't mean anything, dear. Oh, I know. He's young, he doesn't understand. Yes, When yes. he gets older, he'll realize... I know, Eunice. I know. Why don't we do something gay tonight? The dinner's ruined anyway. So why don't we go to a good movie? 
I'll run upstairs and get my hat. I think I'd rather stay home tonight, Eunice, if you don't mind. I feel a little tired. All right. Then I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go upstairs and help Brad get off to his date. Then you and I can have the house all to ourselves. And we'll play a hand of honeymoon bridge like we used to in the old days. Remember? Oh. All right, dear. I'll let you rest. Kimberly. Yes, Kimberly. Kimberly, I... I want to talk to you, Ingalls. Come on in. I thought... I'm terribly sorry about dinner tonight. I didn't know until about a half hour ago that Bradley... Ingalls, who do you think you are? What? You thought you were being clever, didn't you? Stove broken down, no gas man available. (laughs) You thought I'd crawl into a corner and die because an Ingalls had played me for a sucker. You thought you'd laugh about it with your blue blood friends at the country club. Well, you won't, pal. You put your foot in it this time. You put your foot in it and you can't pull it out. What are you talking about? Who do you think you're working for, Ingalls? The city. No, you're not. You're working for me, Ingalls. Councilman Elliot L. Kimberly. I'm the guy who's going to run the city. So you'd better get in line. You scurry around tomorrow and get me that nomination at the club or you'll be running around without a job. Now, look here, Kimberly. I'm not going to let you... You don't have to let me do a thing, Ingalls. Nobody has to. I just do it. And, oh, uh, by the way, before I came over here, I phoned your secretary and fired her. What? You heard me, Ingalls. That girl I wanted in will be at your office tomorrow morning. Just a minute, Kimberly. Sure. Got something to say? You bet I have. Shoot. I'm sick of you, Kimberly. Sick of the slimy, tricky methods you use. Sick of the way you're running this town. Sick of everything. Most of all, sick of your face and my job. So beginning right now, you can have both of them, Kimberly. Oh, that's fine. You quitting? As of this minute. (laughs) Thanks, Ingalls. That's just what I've been waiting for. Good night. I just can't believe that Dad could have lost his job like that. He didn't lose it, Brad. He quit. You heard what Granny said last night just as well as I did. He quit and then he was horror-struck at what he'd done. Oh, well. I guess there's no turning back now. Kimberly must have been right. I'm awful hard to make him do a thing like that. Yeah. Oh, things would break this way. What do you mean by that? Well, if he hasn't any job, he can't pay our bills. No bills means no college. I thought we went through all that last night. You're not going to back down now, are you? Brad Ingalls, if you don't... All right, st- all right, all right. Did you do what you said you were going to this morning? Of course I did. Did you? Mm-hmm. And how'd it work out? Fine. Yours? Oh. Then what are we standing here for? Let's go in and talk to her. Who talks first, Brad? You or I? You start, Lois. Then I follow up with a more gruesome detail. 
Let's go on. Knock on the door. Uh-huh. Hello? Good morning, Granny. May we come in? Of course, Joe. Good morning, Grant. Good morning, Bradley. You two skipped out bright and early this morning. Uh, we, uh, we had some business to take care of. Important business. I see. Uh, as a matter of fact, Granny, that's why we're here now. We, uh, we... Something we wanted to discuss with you. Oh? Uh, Granny, uh, now that Dad has lost his job, what do you think his chances are? I mean, I mean, what do you, what do you think is ahead for him? The poor house. Oh, no, the husband of a Bradley in the poorhouse? Oh, Granny, the disgrace. Better the poorhouse than a lot of rumors tramping over my carpet. Do you know what your mother has done? She's put an ad in the paper saying we have rooms for rent. She has. I bet a lot of people would like to move in. Maybe we can ask Elliot Kimberly. Lois Ingalls, how can you even suggest such a thing? Now, if this is your idea of a joke... Oh, no, 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 it's not, Granny. Uh, <clears throat> we've, um... We've come to discuss Dad's problem with you, see. We've heard of an opening. Another job. Yeah. The salary is not too high to start with, but, oh, Dad can work his way up, and, and it is steady. What sort of a job? Milk delivery for the Fleischer Farms. Milk delivery for the... What are you talking about? Oh, it isn't a sure thing yet, but we, we think we can swing it with influence. Of course, Dad's age is against him. Dad's 53. 54. That's even worse, and, and the big concerns don't really want men his age anymore. But if, if you talk to Mr. Fleischer, Lois says you know him. You went to school with Mrs. Fleischer, Granny. You told us, remember? Of all the air of nonsense. Well, if you don't think Mr. Fleischer would consider it, Granny. Of course, Dad would look a little odd in the Fleischer uniforms. Oh. Well, um, Granny, if you don't think Mr. Fleischer would consider it, then, uh... There's another lead we found out about. Yeah, the sandwich man's job at Hinkle's Ice Cream Parlor is open. The guy cut his thumb on a clam And we shell. think maybe if Mother trained Dad in the kitchen a few days Oh, first. you're mad. The two of you stuck raving mad. Well, you don't think Dad can make the grade? Why, well, better if Mother showed Dad how to make sandwiches, he could pick up speed in no well, time. Aren't there any respectable jobs left in this city anymore? For young men, Granny. Oh, Dad wouldn't mind about those jobs, Granny. Dad doesn't have your pride. And he'll feel he has to do something and... Of course, if we could manage to swing some kind of uh, investment for him in a nice, respectable little business. Respectable little business. Well, I've got some money. Have you real? Not much. Was going to your father and mother when I went on and then to you someday. Though lately I've been thinking of leaving it all to charity. Granny, we have a secret for you. Granny, um, did you, uh, um... Uh, have, have you ever thought of dying, Granny? What? Uh, no, I, I mean that, that, that you're going to die someday. Well, do you call that a secret, or am I being told that you're going to poison me? No, no, no. You see, what we mean is... Well, since it's going to be Mother and Dad someday anyway... When I get through with it. Yeah, well, what we meant is... Why don't you give it to them now? They need it terribly just now, Granny. So they can send you back to college. No. I see it all now. I give them the money so you can go back to college. We're not going back to college, Granny. We've made other plans. But they'll still spend it on you. No, no, you can fix it so they can't. I can? You know Noel Derby, Granny. You trust him, don't you? Of course I know Noel. His father was here even before mine. Well, Mr. Derby has an option on Frederick's nursery, a wonderful spot, and he wants Dad to go in with it. How do you know? We saw him this morning, Granny. Just think. 
Ingalls and Derby Incorporated. Daddy will be an independent businessman. Dad may not like it if you finance him openly, but if you go in with Mr. Derby as a silent partner... And then you could hire Dad to look after your interests. Oh, don't you see, Granny? It'll be wonderful. Mr. Derby thinks it's a good idea. Of all the impertinent... What do you mean discussing my affairs behind my back? Granny, Granny, please. Well... Granny. Well... You will? But young Derby had better not think this is an act of charity. I can still read the small print on the contract. Of course you can, Granny. Get her hat, Granny. Uh Mr. Derby's waiting for you in Hinkle's ice cream parlor, Granny. Well, this is the most... Not that hat, you idiot. That's a summer hat. Oh, excuse me. Up, up. This one, Granny. Uh, My fitch coat, Lois. You're not expecting me to sign a contract in my tweed. Love rum. Take a good look, Abby, Mom. I am liable to be arrested any minute. Bradley, your eyes. It is pretty dark, isn't it? Oh, but you ought to see Kimberly's. Kimberly's? Bradley, you didn't have a fight with him. Oh, just a little discussion, Mom. I, uh, wanted to bring home a few points. Brad, oh, my baby. Mom, cut it out. You're choking me. My for Pete's sake, you women. Lois, tell her now before she starts crying. Don't tell me Lois fought Kimberly, too. What is it, Lois? What have you been doing? Nothing, Mom. I just... Oh, I want to tell you this for a long time, Mom, but I, I was scared, too. I, I was afraid you'd be angry, Mom. Oh, what is it? I'm not going back to college, Mom. I, I wanted to quit for a long time, but I didn't have the courage, so... Now today, I went out this morning and I got a job. Lois! I'm going to write advertising copy for Mr. Wingate. Mr. Wingate hired you. If you think that's good, listen to this for luck. I've got a job at the Little Theater. It's a swell opportunity. I was studying design in college, wasn't I? Well, here I can help the scene painter, and they promised me a chance at some sets myself. I can send the photographs to New York. Gosh, there's no telling what this will lead to. Oh, I won't let you do this. I tell you that I will... There is the most wonderful news. Wait till you hear. Fern, where have you been? You've had me worried. We have some news for you, Dad. I've got my job back. Lois and I... What? The consul wouldn't accept my resignation. Kimberly was outvoted. Oh, by the way, he came in with the biggest black eye, said he fell. Anyway, Brad, you and Lois can go back to school and... What's the matter with you all? Can any of you say anything? You might at least congratulate Oh, Dad. Oh, Dad. Eunice, what's got into everybody? Have they all suddenly lost their wits? Do you realize what I've said? I've got my job back. Everything is all right again. Dad, I'm not going back to college. What's that? What's that you say? Lois took a job this morning, Dad, and so did I. We're not going back to college. Now, just wait a moment, children. There's nothing to wait for. I'm not going back. But, Bradley... If Lois wants to, it's okay with me. Oh, really? You're a girl. Well, I'm not going back either. Both of you are. That's right, Eunice. We are are not. not. Quiet. Goodness. Quiet. I'm still head of this house. Attaboy, Dad. Lois, you're going back to college. Ah, telling her, Dad. And as for you, Bradley, telephone the people who hired you and tell them you're resigning. But, Dad! I won't go back. As long as I'm head of this family, I shall take the responsibility for this family's welfare. I have my job back, and we will all pick up where we left off. But, Father, what... Quiet! Your father is speaking. You'll see that that's anything to shout about. I've signed on the dotted line, Bradley. Lois, give your grandmother a chair. Sure, Granny. You came just in time, Granny. Dad's ruining everything. In time for what? What's he talking about, Mother? 
My whole family seems suddenly to have gone insane. We're in business together, Bernard. What are you talking about? Noel Derby and I have bought Frederick's nursery, and I've engaged you to look after my interests. Mother! Oh, what wonderful news. I'll pay you a salary, Bernard. Not much at first, but maybe someday I'll sell out to you. I won't accept that. Dad! I will not let my family sacrifice. Bernard! Yes, Eunice? If you go back to City Hall, Bernard, I'll leave you. Eunice! I mean every word of it. I will no longer have you put up with that nonsense at City Hall. Either you take Mother's offer or, or I'll pack my bags. Be sure to take the silver coffee spoons, Eunice. But the children, Eunice, their education. I need the experience in the theater, Dad. Oh, writing copies a break for me, Dad. Don't you see? Bernard, they're such wonderful children. All right, all right. None of that sentimental bosh. Now get on with the matter at hand. What are you going to do, Bernard? What do you say, Eunice? You know what I say, darling. Well, then I guess it's all settled. If you kids are willing to give up college... The least I can do is to give up my job at City Hall. Gee, Dad, that's great. Well, don't see why you children shouldn't follow the courses you choose. I knew you'd take advantage of this opportunity, Bernard. I've waited years for it. Now, perhaps, I can really help the children. Oh, you've always helped us, Dad. A bit too willingly, if I know anything. Ah, not always. There have been times when I've complained and worried the way a lot of men do. I guess raising a family is not a question of making sacrifices the way Eunice and I used to think. I guess it's more a matter of getting together and taking care of our problem before it takes care of us. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.